the first thing you should do is read the book, um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm. I really truly believe that if you know your why, you're going to be able, things will be easier. Not things are going to be really easy, but the you'll be on an, on a good path. Mm. Know why you're doing something. And if you're just, I mean, cause that's going to dictate really how things move forward. That's helped me tremendously knowing mm. why I made it, knowing why I want to work with the, the, the community I'm working with literally sets everything down a great path for me. Um, and you'll also learn why you don't want to do something. Mm. But for me, yeah. that's the most amazing book. Um, start with why. I would read that. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks and other things related to the business. If you ever need anything, or any help, just feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, as always, uh, Ben Wolf. And uh, Ben uh, never necessarily thought he'd be an entrepreneur until he got to his mid-40s. Um, but uh, backing up a little bit, when he was in high school, kind of always wanted to be an actor and, and went to college and school for uh, musical theater and then went uh, was in L.A. and then went to Broadway uh, in New York for a period of time. And then uh, about 10 years ago, he was uh, kind of having or had a conversation about whether he's on the right track, whether he's going where he's at, kind of made some pivots and uh, did some styling for executives or um, business executives. And then in 2008, when uh, things crashed a bit, had to pivot and adjust and uh, went or went on a, a bit of a path there to try a couple other startups, including one that's called Faster Pants, I think it was. And uh, you can talk a little bit more about that. And then uh, about a year and a half, or I think it was about a year and a half ago, kind of was getting into different things and then uh, had a hospital stay, came up with an idea and brings him a bit to where he's at today. So. With that much as a uh, quick interview or quick introduction, <laughs> not quick interview, but apologies, quick introduction. Welcome on the podcast, Ben. Hey, Devin, it's great to be here. And wow, man, that, that was like flashing before my eyes. What you just <laughs> said, that was like your life in 30 seconds or less. That's right. <laughs> so I did now the, the kind of quick and brief introduction, but take us back a bit in time to a bit in high school and you wanted to be an actor in college and coming out and uh, tell, tell, tell us your journey from there. Sure. You know, <laughs> growing up in L.A., I was probably like most kids, bitten with the showbiz bug. Mm. Um, I had a talent for singing and dancing, and um, I s just started doing that. And that's where I really thought my life would head. I mean, mm. even into college, it was a search to find a musical theater program, which I did find in uh, San Diego at a university called, um, um, oh, my God, my head is... Uh, I can't even remember the name. It's been so long. It's just insane. But anyway, yeah, so got my degree in uh, musical theater, tried it out in LA, ended up moving to New York in 1999 to try my hat at theater. And I'm going to tell you, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't working as an actor. I wasn't making much of a living. And rather than just keep going down that path, I decided it was time to pivot or persevere, as we say. And pretty much in my mid 40s, I was like, this isn't working. What else can I do? And that's when I uh, decided I wanted to be a fashion stylist. 
So before and, you jump into fashion style, so sure. you've been in, you've been trying or been doing the acting kind of Broadway kind of route for what was it? 15, 10, 15 years? Yeah, pretty much for 10, 15 years. So um, did you, did you, I assume in that, I won't assume, did you ever get in a show? Did you ever do acting? Did you ever try it out? Was it, was it the starving artist lifestyle where you're successful or kind of how did that work out? <laughs> I'll tell you, man, it was much more of the starving artist. I did have some successes. I did a few tours. I worked on a cruise ship. I did off Broadway, never did Broadway, mm. but you know, they're just, so it, it was okay. It wasn't great. I wasn't really making a living. I, I made more money at my day jobs, as we call it. Um, mm. The stuff you do in between acting gigs or the stuff you do after the contract ends. Because mm. as an actor, it's always about, you're, you're always contract to contract and there's mm. a lot of space in between. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me. And it was actually during those uh, in between times that I became aware of my, um, how much I liked re, um, dressing men and women and men and women's clothing. And that's really when I had that epiphany of, do I pivot or persevere? Do I stay as an actor and uh, go down that path or I move on? Mm. And that's where I decided to move on. And that's really where redress came about. That was my uh, business of styling business executives. Mm. So now, so you, so you got into, you said, okay, I've, I've tried this acting for a while. I've had some success. I've had some failure type of thing, but I, you know, I'm kind of moving on from that and, you know, and you had the idea of, okay, I, I like styling. I like, you know, dr- dressing so people, so to speak, or having, helping them to be fashionable and that mm-hmm. type of a thing. So you get into that and, you know, how did that business go making that transition from being more on the stage or doing the acting or doing the shows to being a bit more behind this or behind the stage, so to speak, or helping people to look successful and to be, you know, be that aspect. Was it everything you wanted? Was it a fun business? Did it grow or how did it go for you? Yeah. So I'll tell you this, it really was a fun business. Mm. Um, By the time I had transitioned, I had pretty much acting kind of out of my system. Mm. So it was, there wasn't any regret. There was just that I needed to move on. This is my past and now I'm into my future. I actually uh, really, let me, just, let me just say this, dressing business executives was really different than I thought it would be. I mean, mm. normally when people think of fashion stylists, they think of the red carpet and mm. that kind of a thing. Uh, the Emmys, the Oscars, that really wasn't my deal. I was very good at dressing the everyday businessman and businesswoman. I was able to take a, a just a general amount of pieces they would have in their closet and create multiple looks. Mm. And that to me was so fun because it was all about creativity, how to put um, patterns and colors and styles together in order to create something that that person would love to wear in their business meetings, in their board meetings, meeting their customers or clients. That's what I really loved about it. So now one question on that and more just maybe a curiosity on my end is, you know, how do you, Having a passion sometimes is hard to build a business around, right? In the sense that you can be very passionate about something, but getting somebody to pay you for it and finding those customers that are willing to pay you can sometimes be the difficult. So now that you kind of found you enjoyed this and you were good at it and that, how did you go about finding, you know, finding customers and clients and people who are willing to pay for it and building a business around it? That's a great question. And you're absolutely right. I, um, <laughs> back in the day, I, decided to kind of hone in on real estate brokers Mm. because real estate brokers have to dress well all the time. 
So what I did, which you cannot do now because they kind of figured it out, is I went to their website and you were able to access an individual um, real estate broker and their email. Mm. So I was basically email bombing kind of all these brokers until somebody said yes. And I probably sent out thousands of emails from various different websites in order to get people to at least show an interest. And that's really how it started. Mm. Um, that's kind of how I did it. And then it became kind of a word of mouth. Mm. And then it became, oh, I have these clients. What do you, you know, would you, do you want to hire me? Cause I'm already working with these people and they love my work. So, you know, that was kind of my first foray into email marketing because I really didn't know how to meet anybody. I didn't really have any guidance on this. I didn't have somebody I could say, how did you do it? So mm. I kind of just had to fend for myself and I tried this out and it seemed to work. So now, so you tried that out, seems to work going, going along well. And when, or what year is it that you started it? I'm going to say, I really think this was about 2000, end of 2005, 2006. Okay. So, now, so you did that at two, 2005, 2006. So it sounds like two or three years are kind of things are going well. You're starting to get reputation, word of mouth, building yeah. up a bit of a clientele. And then you have a bit of the economy crash or the housing market, which kind of pulls everything oh, yeah. else down. So, so how did that, how did that kind of affect things or where did that, what direction that put you? Well, it really put me in a bad place because not only were executives being let go or the people who would hire me to be let go, but real estate fell apart. Mm. So I had the majority of my customers were real estate brokers. And, mm. and so that kind of really was a double whammy for me. So I quickly lost, I'm going to say like 85% of my customers. Mm. Um, I had tried to start to reach out to other businesses like I was uh, working with the head of Pearson Education. I was dressing him, but still they were, everybody was in the same boat because although he wasn't a real estate broker, he had people working for him and they had to let them go. Mm. So everybody was tightening their belt and I was not on the top of their list of people to keep. So now, so, and you kind of see that, and I'm, I'm guessing it was a bit of an in slow mo in the sense that, you know, housing market starts to crash, a few clients start to leave, a few more start to leave, things start, bills get, yeah. kind of get tightened. So as you kind of see that that's the direction things are headed, kind of, what did you do at that point? Did you pivot? Did you adjust? Did you take a step back or kind of, how did you navigate that? Well, what I did is I ended up getting another day job mm. because I really didn't know excuse me, I really didn't know what I was going to do next. So I kind of just pulled everything back and went and got another day job. Um, I can't remember where, but it was probably retail because mm. that's kind of where I excelled at. But even those were hard to find mm. just because of the nature. Now, now it, people were still shopping at that time, right? We didn't have like a pandemic. So people were still out and about and still shopping. So retail was still alive. It just wasn't as, uh, it just wasn't flourishing as much. But it was probably not, I'm going to say, a good year, year and a half until I came up with my other idea, which became Faster Pants, which was built upon what I learned with Redress. So, so now you have the idea for Faster Pants. And if I remember, that was kind of taking what you did on a one-to-one -one or in-person basis of helping people to restyle their um Mm -hmm. wardrobes into multiple styles and kind of taking that to a software kind of an application. Is that right? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. What I wanted to do, what, the question in my head was, can I take what I did uh, physically, like I physically with redress, I would go into their closet 
I would sort through everything that was not good, I take out, everything that was good, I kept, and then I would arrange outfits. And I would photograph the outfits, make a make a like a photo book of it, and they would have like usually twenty brand new looks that I would put together based on a set of criteria that they would give me. And I thought, can I do that and make it into software? Turn that into some kind of electronic thing? And um, basically, what I did, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so basically, what I did is I bought colored construction paper. And each color was a certain item of clothing and they would be like a circle. So I would cut out circles for dress shirts, pink circles for dress shirts, blue diamonds for ties, square, brown squares for pants, something like that. And I mm -hmm. took every piece of clothing out of my closet and I made outfits, you know, suit shirt tie or sport coat blazer trouser or polos or things like that. And everything got a colored and a shaped uh, piece of paper. And what I did is after I made an outfit, I would write those down on a piece of paper, like a spreadsheet to see if there was a pattern to what was going on. And I actually found one. I actually found that the, it, the biggest piece of clothing or the clothing that was the most predominant became the star of the show and everything else became supporting characters. Mm. And by doing this, I was able to come up with kind of a pattern in a, in a way of a, like a, a light shirt and a dark tie on a on a this color of a suit. That's very basic, but something like that. And I made, it came out to be like 68 pages of spreadsheet. A lot of really what I would define as if then that, if this, then that, if this, then that kind of a thing. If they choose this type of tie, then this type of shirt pops up. Mm. Um, and that was really the basics of it. And the next thing was I set out to find uh, somebody who could make that into software. Mm. So now, so you kind of come up with the idea, you find the pattern, you're saying, okay, now let's turn this into software. And I think that, you know, you find someone, they help you build it for a period of time. Yes. Um, but, you know, how did that go? Was it, did you, did, were you able to get the software up and running? Was it program success? Did people want to buy it? Or is it, it a difficult to sell or kind of how did it go for you? <laughs> well, oh my gosh. So I did get it up and running. It ended up becoming everything that was in my head, my developer was able to create. Mm. Um, but like a lot of entrepreneurs, I built something that nobody wanted. I built something, I spent a lot of money. It looked amazing, it worked great, but mm. nobody bought, nobody wanted it. No, um, I, was, I was thinking it was gonna be more software as a service and I couldn't get any takers. And mm. to be honest, I, it was about 50 grand that I spent altogether, um, a lot of it, much of it from friends and family. So mm. there was a lot of uh, guilt on my part, a lot of pain on my part, because I was one who had to tell them that this wasn't going to work. Um, so that ended and I was kind of in a stasis after that, like of not knowing what to do for probably another year, year and a half um, until I could figure out my next step. But yeah, I learned a lot from faster pants. My God, I learned a ton of a lot of what not to do a lot mm. of, um, how to make your money work for you, how to really make sure you listen to the right people mm. and how you find the right people. And everybody has opinions, but not everybody's opinion you should listen to. So yeah, man, it was a really expensive lesson that I learned, but I really think it informed how I built um, Beanie Sleeper and how I'm making that into, yeah. 
No, and I think one thing you mentioned when we chatted a bit before the interview is that, you know, not only did it, it, it fail, but it kind of, you know, it sucked out a bit of the creative nature and for you for a period of time that was almost like, okay, I put it kind of my heart and soul into this. Nobody wants it. And this was, you know, and I like how you kind of put there's too often. And I think it happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is you have an idea that you think is really cool that you fall in love with that you were really excited about and, you know, and, uh, and then you go out and you're like, but other people don't want it. Or even if they want it, they may not be willing to pay for it, right? They may say, oh, that's a cool idea. But then getting people to say, it's not, not only a cool idea, but I'm willing to pay for it, is going to be a difficult thing. And sometimes you kind of, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid or you buy into your own idea. And it, it can be hard to step back and see that. So once you finally kind of figured out, okay, this isn't going to be able to quite make a go of it. Or it's not going to work out the way I anticipated you know, you had that period of time that was kind of, hey, I need to take a pause from the creativity before you circle back. Is that right? That really is. I mean, I I think I was just talking to somebody about this earlier. And then I think there's two ways to approach, uh, I guess, entrepreneurship. Either you see what the world wants and you create that, or you create what you want and you see if the world wants it. I'm more of the latter. I mean, redress was something I wanted to do. And I really didn't know if there'd be a market for it until I found there was. Mm. Um, faster pants was something I really wanted to do. I was like, this is a no brainer. Men can't shop. They're going to love that you pick one piece and you get multiple outfits that you could buy all at once. Sure. Nobody wanted it. And then, the, and then Beanie Sleeper was something that I needed for myself when I was in the hospital and I couldn't find. So I created it for myself, hoping others would like it. So dive into that a bit more. So now, because I think that's a good transition. So you took that kind of year and a half off. I think you just said you'd kind of work again, retail or just kind of general jobs, you know, to make their pay the bank, but said, okay, I'm going to take a bit of breather from the creative aspect of that. And then you had a, an ep, or a issue where you had to go in the hospital and then you kind of came up with what is Beanie Sleeper, which is what your current product is. Yeah. So yeah, the current product is Beanie Sleeper, but I'm going to say really, um, practically all of 2019 was like a creativity wasteland. Mm. I had, there was just nothing going on in my head. I was, you know, I was working at a job that I actually liked, but it, it was starting to weigh on me. I was just not, there were no creative juices flowing. And I think the worst thing that happens to anybody is that once they, those juices stop flowing, you think they will never flow again. And mm. that ends up building on itself and that's what it did. It built on me until finally, um, I ended up in, in the middle of October, I had some medical problems and I ended up having to go into the hospital for a couple of weeks. And it was really in there that this need for something, it was really cold. The lights are always on, doctors and nurses coming in and out. I couldn't sleep. And it was really such a basic need for sleep that led me to create what is now Beanie Sleeper. I would, um, it was October, so it was cold. So when I went into the hospital, I had a winter beanie with me. You know, the traditional winter beanie that's made out of like nylon or wool. It's, it's very warm. It has those things that fold up. I was trying to do, use that. And I tried and it really didn't work. It worked enough, but it was always hot. The fabric always laid on my eyes. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. But when I left the hospital, I got home uh, two weeks later, it just hit me what I wanted to make. I wanted to make a better version of that, something that I could sleep with, 
that didn't have the elastic. I hated those. Was more than just a sleep mask because my head was cold. I hated that. And mm. basically, that's how I came up with the idea of Beanie Sleeper. And that's what set me on the path to where I'm at today. Um, I mean, I could tell you exactly how I did it, what I spent, what the process was. It's a, I'll let you tell me what you want to know. But basically, it was from that that my creativity was born again. And I, I set out on a path of Beanie Sleeper, literally from that moment of idea in my head till selling it, actually selling it. Mm. So maybe one question to follow up on, on that is, so, you know, you have the idea, you're sitting in the hospital bed, you're saying, okay, I have, I, and everybody's been in there. If you've ever had to own overnight or more, you know, multiple night day hospital stay, you're saying, I, you know, they, they come in, they turn the lights on, they turn the lights off. You leave the door open, they get bright in. It's hard to sleep and everything else. And so definitely trying to figure out how can I get a bit of peace and quiet, or at least not be woken up every half an hour, an hour. And kind of out of that, that motivation to why don't I take kind of a beanie that can then kind of fold comfortably fold over your eyes. So at least it blocks a bit of the, the, the light and the, the, that out of, out to make it a bit of comfortable sleeping. From that kind of idea, how long did it take you to develop it? And then did you, is it in the marketplace or how did you get in the marketplace or is it yeah. still, you're still working on it or kind of, how was that transition from the idea to where you're at today? Yeah, I'll tell you, man, I moved really quick. Mm. I, it was in my head that this was going to happen. Literally, I started to think about uh, stuff I would need to try and make a prototype uh, pretty much out, right after I got out of the hospital, I would go onto Amazon and I bought things that I thought I would need, like, mm. like scissors, like sewing stuff, like Velcro stuff. I just bought things I thought I would need so that when I got stuff at home, I could literally cut and paste and glue and to make what I thought this could be. So I'll say between uh, like November 1st and the end of November, I think I had my first prototype. Mm. Um, it was quite a mess, but because I don't know how to sew or anything, but I it was from there that I set out to find uh, like a tailor, to find somebody, a seamstress, somebody could sew, sew it together to kind of get an idea of what I wanted. Mm. And I'm gonna say it, that that lasted through maybe the end of December of 2019. Um, but I'll say this, the first part of January, I started to see some light on finding somebody to help me with this. I was talking to one of my best friends, uh, my friend, Ed, Ed Sylvia, he's a fashion designer. Now he's a busy guy. I didn't, never would have gone to him to help me with this because he's really busy, but I was calling him to see if he could direct me where I can go to find somebody. So I'm telling him about this, that I need this done. I need it to look really good. I need to be able to show people. Um, do you have any idea where I can go? And he said, well, I'll do it. And I'm like, you're busy. How can you do it? He goes, no, I really like this. I think it's a great idea. I'll help you. So mm. my friend Ed and I got together and he actually um, worked with me to create the final product, which is actually this so mm. this is actually a beanie sleeper and what was great is that i you know of course i paid him for it i don't like people working for free i don't mm. think that's right even if i pay him up five bucks which i paid him more than that but i want pe i want people to know that i value what they do mm. so he made my first 10 my first 10 pieces um and that happened i got those about mid february and i was putting up i decided i was going to put up an etsy site um, and then pretty much what, March 15th, life was normal. March 16th, New York was in lockdown. Mm. The pandemic had hit. Hmm. So that takes us really into end of March, beginning of April, where I had my Etsy site up and hmm. I tried to sell them on Etsy. I sold one, but 
what was interesting about Etsy is that it allows you to search to see how people found you. And one of the big searches that people were looking for was something called the chemo beanie. Mm-hmm. And I never heard of that. Um, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I did some reach, research and it turns out that's a thing. Men and women going through chemotherapy will wear something on their head to cover because they're, they're cold and it's called a chemo beanie or, and for a woman it's called a turban. So yeah. I started to reach, I started to look at that, look out to that. And I found these websites where they sell these things and I started to reach out. And it was from that reaching out that I met Beth over at mastectomyshop.com. She deals mostly with uh, women who have gone through or are going through breast cancer. And it was from her that I basically sent her an email, kind of like similar to me working with the um, real estate brokers. So I, I sent her an email, but this time I said, I said, uh, my name is Ben. I have a product called Beanie Sleeper. I, and I told her my hospital story. Mm. And her reply to me was, wow, I wish this was around when my daughter was in the hospital. Mm. So we had a connection. And it was really from that connection, she bought my last six. Hmm. And then it was like, when can I buy 50 more? Hmm. So it was really from there that I, that I realized that I could possibly have something that might work, that people may like. And I kind of found this community that I never have thought about, that I thought, well, let me see if I can help this community and, and make a business. No, and I think that definitely makes sense. And that's that's a cool story of kind of, you know, but it's also kind of the, hey, I've got a cool product. People are wanting it. Now you're just finding that market fit as to where do you yeah. make that entrance and how do you actually start to, you know, or sell it and actually or find people that are wanting to buy it. So now that kind of brings us up to today. So now looking kind of out at the next six to 12 months, sure. where do you see that heading or where is that where will that take you? Well, that's a great question. So I'm, I still reach out to, um, I'm going to call it the chemo community, the cancer community. Mm. And I'm always searching. I, I sell wholesale, by the way. I, I would say 95% of my sales are wholesale. And mm. I did that for a couple of reasons. And maybe people listening could get something from this because I think it, it really worked for me that nobody knows who the heck I am. Nobody knows Beanie Sleeper. And I have no money for marketing. So I have a great website, but I have no money to bring eyeballs to the website. So what I thought is, what if I bring my product to a site that already has eyeballs? Mm. And by working with Beth, she puts my product on her site and instantly I'm a product. I'm a brand because Mm. her site only has great brands on it. So that's kind of what I did. And I think wholesale is really the way for me to go because I can also scale at wholesale. It's better for me to sell 60 at a time than to sell one. It makes more sense to this business model. So um, where I'm at now is I would say 95% of my sales are wholesale, mostly to people in the chemo community, cancer community, like um, uh, Beth at uh, A Fitting Experience. That's her That's her brick and mortar, mastectomyshop.com. Hello Courage, um, Met About You Too. There's um, I also just, but what's really interesting is I was able to reach into um, a bedding company, which I didn't know would be a good fit. I knew sleepwear, but um, Fine Pillow is a bedding company that took on Beanie Sleeper because they think it makes sense for their customers. So now they're selling it. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Mm. Um, I, I did the whole factory thing. I, or, I, had, I ordered 7,500 pieces. Uh, between the middle of December and up until about a week ago, I had sold around 200 
of those. It's very slow, but I'm reaching into, um, I'm, I'm trying to reach more into hospitals and like cancer centers. I work with lemonsoflove.org, which is uh, a really great organization run by Jill Swanson, um, who's a cancer survivor, colon cancer. And she makes chemo kits or chemo baskets that she gives to chemo patients. So Beanie Seeker is a part of that. I'm going to be working with Braca Strong, who's another um, um, cancer foundation. And we're working together to create some kind of a, a, a give, a buy, give, or a gift, give kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, so I see that. Um, my, I really want Beanie Sleeper to be a, a business. I really believe I can do good and make money. I'm a really big believer in that. And that, that's kind of every day, that's kind of how I do. I try to create um, opportunity by contacting people in this on um, one side or the other to see if somebody will buy or we can create some kind of arrangement. Hmm. Um, I'm marketing all the time. I even have my own Instagram live that I do weekly called Sleeping with Ben, where I interview like, like interesting people like you do. And I want to find out about their story and maybe how sleep um, helps them or hurts them in their story or what they've done. Um, I find it really interesting. So that's kind of where I'm at, like at this moment. Well, cool. I think that is uh, definitely a, a fun direction to head. It sounds like, you know, as, as with a lot of companies, you know, you always see the movie, you always read the book, and it always makes it sound like it's an overnight success when really it's an overnight success 10 years in the making. So it's always that slow burn to, to build it and to grow it, but it sounds like it's on a, a great trajectory. So now as we kind of, you know, always more things to talk about than time to talk about them as we start to wrap up with the podcast, I always ask two questions. So we'll jump to that now a bit, you know, so first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? Oh, uh, I'm going to say, hmm, I think the worst business decision I made was around the last four months of Faster Pants. I was convinced by people I shouldn't have been convinced to, to redo the entire site. And I dropped another four grand mm. in that. I think that was the worst business decision because I really didn't follow my own gut. I followed the advice of somebody else. And I think mentors are great, but you got to listen to yourself. Mm. And if it doesn't make sense, you've got to at least put the brakes on. Um, and I think, no, and I think that's a good point in the sense that on the one hand, it's great to have good mentors around, people who can provide you feedback, and it's, you know, they can always provide you with the invaluable thoughts on that, but at the end of the day, you take all that in, and then you have to decide, what does that make, mean for me in, in the sense of, do I agree with it? Ultimately, I'm going to be half the one to live with it, and I'm going to have to pay for it, and it's got to make sense, so you kind of take that all in, aggregate it, and then say, okay, now with that in mind, I'm going to make the decision, but you've got to balance that so they don't influence, they don't have an undue influence to push you in a direction that doesn't make sense to you it's really true and and that lesson was big in my head before i decided to sink a lot of money into beanie sleeper i mm. decided that if my if the feedback i got when people tried it was oh this is great but if you only added xyz if that was the only response i got i was going to scrap the whole thing because mm. that was my problem with faster pants i was trying to build i kept adding features adding features adding features before anybody paid a dime so I really learned that I'm going to listen to the people who pay me money because they're the ones who are putting down their cash and they should, they have more of a say. And it's really worked because that's how I learned that Beanie Sleeper would be good for camping. 
or be good when people have headaches or be good for train travel or plane travel. I learned that because this is what my customers were telling me, people who paid their 30 bucks, mm. they were telling me. This. So that to me was the best, that was an expensive lesson, but the best lesson. Oh, I think it's a great lesson to learn. And the people that are going to pay you are off are the ones that you should listen to because otherwise people or there's a lot of people who wouldn't give you advice right up until you ask them to write a check or give you money. And then it's, and then they, then all of a sudden their, their tune changes. Well, I think this is good, but it's not a product for me. So I think listening to the one 100%. where it is a product for them definitely makes sense. So now as we go to the second question, which is if you're to take, you know, if you're talking now just to someone that's getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, that's a really good question. I actually help people. I call them newbies, people who are just starting out with an idea. And I say, the first thing you should do is read the book, um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm. I really truly believe that if you know your why, you're going to be able, things will be easier. Not things are going to be really easy, but the you'll be on, an, on a good path. Mm. Know why you're doing something. And if you're just, I mean, because that's going to dictate really how things move forward. That's helped me tremendously. Knowing why I made it, knowing why I want to work with the, the the community I'm working with, literally sets everything down a great path for me. Um, and you'll also learn why you don't want to do something. Mm. But for me, yeah. that's the most amazing book. Um, start with why. I would read that. No, I think I think it's a great book, and definitely it gives you a different insight as to motivations and why you're doing it and how to navigate things. So I think that that's a great piece of advice. Well, for those normal listeners, we'll be wrapping up this podcast. And for those that want to stay tuned, we are asking the bonus question where we chat a little bit about intellectual property. But if uh, if you're one of those that don't want to listen to intellectual property or otherwise want to get back to your day, definitely appreciate you listening. And thank you again, uh, Ben, for coming on. Um, thank you. If you're a listener and you have your own journey to tell, um, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. Love to have you on and to have you share your story. If you're a listener, also one, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast uh, player so you can get notifications when all our new awesome episodes come out and to leave us a review so new people can find us. And if you ever need help with your intellectual property, visit us at uh, Miller IP Law by going to strategymeeting.com. So now as we transition, so you, I, you, I, I always get to ask all the questions and uh, talk about your journey and we now always get to flip the table a, a bit and uh, you get to get or ask a question. So I'm going to flip it and say, uh, what is your top intellectual property question that I can answer for you? Yeah, this has been a huge one for me. And that's basically because I, I have a product. Mm. So I, I already have a trademark. I have trademarked Beanie Sleeper. That is mine. I own that. Mm. But the thing is, I've been told I should patent mm. the Beanie Sleeper. And that just makes my head explode because I, this is what I know of it. And you can, and please set me straight. This is what I know of it. Patenting is very expensive. And even if I did it, somebody else could come along and make another beanie sleeper. And the best thing I could do is maybe send them a cease and desist or take them to court, but that would take years and a lot of money. So is it even worth it? Yeah, I think it's an absolutely fair question, a fair point. And so, and, I, and I'll give it, it's a bit of a bias answer, but I think a fair one is 
when you're looking at a patent, you got to kind of look and see what is what is the motivation of the reason you're getting it in the sense that, and there are a few, right? One is that you're going to get it because it's an investment. As an example, if you're going to go out to venture capital, angel investors, other people that are going to want to invest in or otherwise join the company, a lot of times they're going to want to see you have something proprietary and that you protected it. So one is it can be an asset. Another one, it can be a bit of a defensive position in the sense that, hey, I'm not necessarily going to go out and sue anybody, but if somebody comes tries to come after me, it's a bit of mutually assured destruction, right? If you come after me, I have this as a defensive weapon, and then I'll be able to protect myself. And then the last one you hit on is kind of more of, hey, this is an offensive weapon where if somebody starts to knock off what I'm doing, then I'm going to go after them. And so then your, your question goes a little bit more to that last one is, okay, let's say you were saying I got this, and you're usually looking at through the whole process, if you're to go with us and there's other firms, you're probably looking at 10 to 12,000 over the space of about two to two and a half years to go through the process and get all the way through. Upwards, if you go to other firms that are, you know, East Coast, West Coast type of thing, you're up to 15, 20,000. So you're right in a sense it can get more expensive and then you're going to have to say, well, is it worth it? And so the question is as to whether it's worth it is let's say you did have somebody, you got a patent, you got it issued, you go in through the process and somebody comes along and, knock, and knocks you off. Then you have to look at a bit of your understanding of your of your you know what the industry you're in and kind of what the competitors are. If it's another small business and you may that cease and desist letter with the you know legal threat and showing that you have a patent may be enough to scare them off and you can get them shut down. Or it may be, hey, let's say I sell a ton of these on Amazon or on online marketplaces, you can use a patent as a way to get a takedown notice and you can otherwise have it removed down and it makes that path a lot more or more quickly. Another way is you're saying, let's, and let's say you're in an industry that there's a lot of big competitors, and at some point you want to get acquired, you want to do a merger or an acquisition or something of that nature, then you may get a, a higher valuation bump. And so that way may also be saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking up to someday, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, I want to make an exit from the company, I want to be able to retire from it or whatnot, then that can help in when you go to sell in order to do that. The last thing is, let's say you do to say, hey, I'm going to go, they, they, they're not going to listen to my cease and desist letter, and I'm going to have to go to court, then you're right, that can get expensive, an average patent lawsuit, you know, if you're to go all the way through, which very seldom they make it all the way through. They usually settle. If you're to go all the way through, you're upwards of seven figures, a million plus dollars to go through the whole thing. The question is, is depending on the industry, a lot of times what I say for startups or small businesses, hey, don't you don't necessarily go out and sue everybody today, but let's say you do make a multi, or, you know, six-figure, seven-figure company over a period of time, that investment to keep others out and, and keep that air competition at bay may be worth it. So you may not sue them today, but in a few years when you do have a bigger company, it may be worthwhile. The other other kind of thought and avenue you can often go is if, on the other hand, let's say you're going to, you're not a big company, but there are other big companies. And I always use the example, let's say Apple starts to, and Apple not wouldn't necessarily with your product, but they started to infringe your product. They made the knockoff of it. Every big company has a big competitor. Apple has Samsung, they have Google, they have other companies that, yes, you don't have the pockets to go sue it or to enforce it, but the other companies will. You can a lot of times go to their direct competitors or someone that is second or third in line in the in the industry and say, hey, this is a great thing. Apple is obviously knocking it off and they, they find it valuable. Would you want to acquire? So there's a bit of strategy when you do it. So you have to look and say, step back and say, do I fit into any of these or boxes? Does it make sense for me to do it? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're saying the best thing is it's going to be a small business. I'm going to 
try and or compete as quick as I can. I'm going to sell as many as I can. I'm going to be the next Snuggie. I'll sell in the market until it's full. And then I'm just going to simply retire. I've had a good business and not going to protect it. Other times you're saying, no, there's reasons why it's kind of a went over that it makes sense. So with that, there's a question or the, at least my input to the top intellectual property question you had. And I appreciate you asking it. Appreciate you coming on to the podcast. And uh, now people want to reach out to you. They want to find out more about your business. They want to buy or buy your product. They want to be an employee. They want to be an investor. They want to be your next best friend. Any or all of the above. What's the best way to find or reach out to you and find out more? Um, definitely Instagram at Beanie Sleeper is a great way. Um, go to my website, beaniesleeper.com. Um, you can also reach out to me through there um, via their, the email there. Um, yeah, that's the best way to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out to you, find out more, support the product, use it. If you're looking for a good way to sleep when you're traveling, you're camping, or you're um, in the hospital, definitely makes sense. Appreciate you again for coming on the podcast, Ben. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. All right, Devin. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 